0: I do a bunch of different things. I'm a writer and I'm a programmer and recently started a business. So I thought I would talk about living two lives and the kind of things that happen when you have two fundamentally different realities that define you personally and professionally. My father was really, uh, he was an English teacher and he was really interested in the way computers worked. And this would be 1981. And he was like, you know, it's interesting to, to me, because he was a poet. He was like, programs are a little bit like poetry in that you're, you're trying to express the most that you can in as small a space as possible. You're trying to really compress thought. And you get results in both poetry and code from that compression, letting things sort of letting the program or the poem work really hard. And that never left me. Since he said that, I probably think about that once a week. So I'll fast forward about 20 years. I'm in college. I'm 41 now. I was in college in the 90s. And I was fascinated by the goings-on at the design lab. I was an English major, which meant writing and reading. And I really would, I would sneak into the college design lab. And I just remember this very specific feeling of... <laughs> Am I allowed to be here? And I wanted to know how to publish my own stuff. So I learned Cork Express, and I was fascinated by media, so I got really into sound editing and started cutting and pasting sounds. all really normal stuff now, kind of normal in '94, but you needed a good computer. And, and, and I just remember that sense of like, am I welcome here? Then I got out of college and I moved to New York, and I, at some level, I must have been looking for the single dorkiest thing I could possibly do. I wanna learn about how sound synthesis works. And so I did two things. So instead of like buying a guitar and being cool, I made an oscilloscope out of an old computer monitor by like running some wires in a very dangerous way and plugged it into a stereo. And then I learned a computer programming language called C-sound where you write these little programs that turn, actually they don't turn into software, they turn into music. And then I would take pictures of the oscilloscope. It was like you would hear the music and you would see the pictures. And this was like me in my room alone for about six months at age 21, 22. Like no one knew I was doing this. I didn't know why I was doing it. But that combination of like the technology and the aesthetic experience. And I, I showed some people these pictures a, a couple of weeks ago and they are like, do you have any of the audio? I was like, no, it's been gone for years. I don't even know where the original files are. Um, but they're like, what did it sound like? And I was like, oh, I can do it for you. It was literally just... And then, like, the, the one, this one is just That was me for six months doing interdisciplinary work. So then uh, the web is, is getting moving. I'm like, well, I better start publishing. But there were no blogs, so I wrote my own software. I felt confident writing my own software because I would taught myself the music synthesis language. And you can see there's this theme of permission that keeps showing up, right? Computers are kind of amazing at giving you permission because nobody's watching, and you can learn how to do things from the software, and you can get the effect, and you can be like, oh, I I guess I know a little bit about sound. That sounds good to me. I know a little bit about design, because that looks better than the thing that I did before, and so I wrote, over the years, I wrote hundreds of thousands of words on this thing. I would just come home and write on it, and I would update the code, and it was in all different languages, and this is, I taught myself to program, and I taught myself to write over many, many years, and I always saw the two as very connected. Other people didn't, Then in 2005, and I'm just explaining where I'm coming from, because not to tell you about me, but just because if I'm gonna talk about working across disciplines, I want you to understand my context. I wrote a novel in 2005. It did very, very poorly. And in fact, people who like my writing now will occasionally realize this, and they'll go and order the novel from Amazon. They'll be like, hey, and they'll like hit me up on Twitter. They'll be like, I got your novel. And I'll be like, yeah. And And then I'll never, this has happened like 10 times never hear another word i'll never get that like i enjoyed it nothing just total silence and they continue on in the relationship as if it never happened but i mean it did very poorly and actually at that moment i was like well that's it for my writing career you write a book it doesn't sell you're done like i just figured that was that i we should call it in this actually started as a hoax online i was it was when williamsburg was starting to come up and i pretended to be like a 20 year i was 30 but i was pretending to be a uh 20-something dude from Williamsburg and just making fun of it and people couldn't tell if it was real or not. And got me. I just I thought that I'd won the lottery when I got my very small advance. And then when it failed, I was like, well, they just took the whole lottery away and done. So I retreated into my job where I was the web guy at Harper's Magazine. And you gotta understand, saying that you're a writer who programs. Now, actually, it's like, oh, that's interesting. He works across boundaries. For many, many years, it was like saying, like, I'm a cabinet maker who plays oboe. Like, people were like, those two things don't fit together. What the hell is wrong with you? If you're going to do one, do one, but stop playing around with this inter- interdisciplinary bullshit. But Harper's hated the internet, and it was incredibly, incredibly broke and cheap. It's a not-for-profit and also just cheap. So they're like, great, you can program, You're kind of, a, you can design kind of, no, not that great, but whatever. Um, you're a writer, you're an editor. I mean, they just, they're like, wow, this is wonderful. We, saved, we just saved like $100,000 a year. And um, they saved much more than that, honestly. But, uh, and they never wanted to publish anything online. So I literally had nothing to do. So I was like, well, I'll scan in all the old issues back to 1850, and we'll get those online, and then we'll sell the archive. And so that meant I had to learn Java, uh, and I had to learn all these sort of various processes about getting large archives online and lots about copyright and so on. And as I did this, I pissed everybody off inside the organization. Like, The subscription people were like, what are you trying to give away? And the business people were really nervous about it. And the editorial people were like, what's, what's happening here? Are we going to focus too much on old content? Like, I really started to like, come up against everybody's territory as I was doing this. So that was a big lesson to learn, was that you'd think you'd have some really nice synthetic Great idea, or it's like, we'll put a whole archive online and it will be wonderful and open and it will be of the web. And people were like, that's a, just going to ruin my world. You just screwed up this spreadsheet over here and I hate you. This is a more recent piece of work. I got asked to write an essay explaining what code is by Bloomberg Business Week and it metastasized a little bit and became an entire issue of Bloomberg Business Week. That's the cover of the print version. And the way that cover came around is they were like, hey, you've been working really hard for about six weeks here at Bloomberg Business Week in the office and losing your mind. I was like, that is true. And they were like, you have to go on Charlie Rose in two hours. And I was like, I don't feel ready for that. And they're like, that's okay because what we really need you to do is get a cover together Um, (laughs) and what we think, because we've got to put that on TV. And and our request is really simple. It just has to be code and sort of funny. So that's where I was at when I did that. It's a little Python program that sort of prints out. Uh, it's a little Python class, and it prints out what the sort of what the issue is and the price of it, and so on. And I got like the Taiwanese version of the magazine. They translated it. They had changed. They they kept the cover in English, but they like changed the prices around. Like so, they'd actually gotten a Python programmer to to, to patch it up, which felt really exciting. It's like although they should have done like an actual pull request. Um, all right. So that's my synthetic life, right? So throughout my entire life of putting these things together, these are the words I would hear. And then everybody was like, oh no, this is cool. That was during the era of like cabinet maker, oboe player. And then people were like, oh, this is great. That guy can do two things. That's interesting. He can think about two worlds. And so I started to get like publishing people, they, and, and they, they'll be like, how do I build apps? And tech people will ask, why is media still broken? And then consulting people ask, how do I build my personal brand? Because it's always like, they're, they're like, oh, you have a lot of Twitter followers and people seem to like you. How can I have that very quickly? And I'm like, well, maybe you could work on it for 15 or 20 years. And I think that's a tricky thing, right? I'm working across these disciplines. People think that what I do is kind of a product unto itself. It's not. It's the product of like insane obsession over really long periods of time. And the problem is that uh, so every article ever written about the future of work says we need to do multiple things. Like at some level, what I'm talking about is like what you're supposed to be i've been 20 years i've been reading these articles and they're like the future of work you'll do more than one thing you'll probably have no job security you'll have all these various skills and it'll be really interdisciplinary and it'll be really exciting but when you actually do that as i'm sure most of the people in this room have had some experience you run up against some serious boundaries and um Working across disciplines is hard, and everybody hates you. And one of the things that I, I, I teach a class at the School of Visual Arts, there's a program, a master's program in interaction design. The class is about content. They've been doing two years of intensive design work. I come in as the guy who talks about words in that context. So what do I say to these designers? I bring up the homepage of the Times, and I say, let's pick a tiny piece, like this little guy right here. A video, a minute and 17, ragu recipe." Who owns this? And we start to play it out, and we talk about the video editors and the homepage editors and the graphic designers who put it together and the people who make this video happen. And by the time I'm done on the chalkboard, we have like 45 names on that bad boy. And it is, uh, the, the reason I'm doing it is because these people have wonderful ideas and they're designers and they're so excited and they're ready to get in there. And they're gonna, they're gonna be like, oh, I'm gonna change, I'm gonna move this 10 pixels over and 45 people are gonna go, you ruined my world. I hate you. And um, I want to prepare them for that and help them understand why sometimes it'll take six, eight months to do really little things in giant organizations where this is real estate. This is highly contested. Lots of people have come together to create a stable rectangle that can get produced every single day. So this is my big lesson for them. Every pixel has an owner. Always remember that when you're doing, this, th- doing the work. because and it's the owners come from all over and they come out of the woodwork so we're talking about borders right we're talking about these disciplinary borders and we talk about them two ways there's this There's like i just did like search for border and there's this really nice like hey crossing the border festival let's all get together let's all work together whatever that is it's nice and good but this is how we actually culturally mostly talk about borders we talk about them as like really serious we don't want people from this group to get into the other place. Or there's a tremendous like, cultural stress and anxiety around issues of territory. And when, we're in our, when we put on our happy interdisciplinary hats in, our, in the world that we're all in in this room, but that's not the larger cultural conversation. The larger cultural conversation is keep everybody out. Humans are very territorial. And the thing that I keep finding working across disciplines is that what they're territorial about is form. They're territorial about you know, the editor of one part of a magazine, God help you if you're an editor of another part and you suggest to them a writer or something. Like you, Everyone is very defensive about their space. If someone is a fiction editor, don't be showing up with fiction. If someone is like whoever is in charge of the cover, that's a very contested space in media. And the, the same is actually true digitally. There's lots of forms in, in media. There's like front end who's server who is this kind, of fr- this kind of framework, this kind of framework, the battles that happen over programming languages. Those are arguments around form, forms are territories. When I was preparing for this and talking about it with people, I got these very thoughtful questions. How does your writing influence your coding? And how does your coding influence your writing? And I thought about this for a long time and I started to come up with answers, but I couldn't figure it out. Like why was I having so much trouble answering this qu- these questions? Uh, and the answer is because I don't really perceive the difference. I never did. Um, I don't care. Deep down, I just don't care. I, I think that when I look out at the world, I see that we have this world where like, San Francisco makes the boxes and New York fills them in. It's this very geographic split and there's this constant tension in this world. What are the side effects of a life where you live, in, live across disciplines? Well, one can become a wonderful tool for procrastination for the other. Uh, I'm a year late on a book because I build a CMS to build the book. The CMS is not done so now I don't have a CMS or a book. There's also no singular ethics. Um, when I'm working as a journalist, the ethics are very clear. When I'm working as a programmer, there's also a kind of ethics, but in this world, like, I'll be asked to write about a big web company, and I'll have to be like, no, wait a minute, I know these guys. I work with them, or I use their software, or whatever, and I have to like, be very careful with my editors to, to be really clear about the relationships that I have. There's no like, easily understood way to be a practicing journalist who writes for magazines and something else on the side. They kind of assume that you exist purely in their world. Also, everything I talk about bores the shit out of people because like my writing people are like, don't even talk about technology. And the technology people are like, what, that's so, you did that? You edited that? It it Took so long. Um, (laughs) The other thing is there's no career path for this stuff. Harper's, they liked me because I was cheap, and I think they liked me. They wanted to kind of at the end, they're like, Well, do you want to be an editor? And I'm like, I'm kind of good at the web stuff. And they were like, Yeah. But they liked me. So they're like, you be an editor, that's what matters here. And I was like, but I I I work and I was like, well, I'm leaving. <laughs> you do but you don't get any reviews, you don't get any of that stuff, right? You're living in your own little world. And it's nice and it's satisfying and it's kind of worked out for me in a lot of ways, but there's a lot of dead years in there where I was obsessed with the problem and making no money that I'm not talking about in this nice presentation. And there's always a sense of huge anxiety because you can always be a better writer and you, my God, you can always be a better technologist. And like now you're bad at both, really. Like you're just constantly freaking out because you're not able to like get, you can see in your head the place you want to get to. And you just can't quite get to it. So there's just this anxiety over the gap. So you're sort of doomed, I think, to be forever freelance in this world. Because you're going in there and you're going, like, I just deliver bad news in the world. I'm just like, oh, well, we can't put that back away. Like I'm always telling the technology people, like, okay, I know that you don't think publishing is actually a real business, and that you think that everything is a feed, um, but it's different. And then I'm telling the publishing people, I'm like, they are here now on the technology side, and they like—they're not waiting for you anymore. And I know that it messes with your fundamental sense of reality to have people doing the stuff online and uh, with with mobile and so on that they're doing. But I can't, like, I can't put it back in the box. So I sort of think of myself as like Cassandra. Like, I'm always just going, like, "No, this is really bad news," and, and you know, I'm like, "This here comes woe befall us." But I try to be like a fun Cassandra. I try to be like cheerful about the fact that uh, there's lots of chaos. So, I kind of gave up. About, uh, about a year ago, I was just like, what is the safe way to get out of this? If I keep writing um, and put make that my career, I'm gonna get in trouble because you get older and the editors get younger and they get less excited about you. I've seen it happen. And it's also, you never really, like if your book does well, but that's kind of a miracle, like you never really can get stable as a writer. It's really hard. And then as a programmer, I was going to have to be a manager anyway, because I'm not that great a programmer. The thing that's really changed for me recently is that I think a lot about the atomic units of the two disciplines that I'm interested in. Like the cultural stuff, I sort of have started to put a lot of it aside. And so I think a lot about literally paragraphs. What what is a good paragraph? How do you make more good paragraphs? What kind of tools could help people write better paragraphs? This kind of thinking is so exciting to me, like just getting down to that atomic level and going like, what is the structure of this world that I'm in? And then at the same time, i have gone a lot deeper in my computer self. I've gotten into assembly language programming, and I'm down to like how the machine actually works. And both of these things are kind of me giving myself real permission. Instead of just producing for the outside world, I'm, I'm allowing myself to actually kind of ask the big questions like how does writing and thinking really work? How does the machine really work? It's not just me doing client service. It's me trying to think about how, what is the fundamental level of, these two disciplines, how does that, how do those worlds fit together, if at all? So I guess what I would say is I'm very down on the word synthesis. I think I used it a few times, but I'm down on it. Um, It's a very corporate word and it tends to imply that you can kind of get everybody together happily in a room and that all the pieces of two different disciplines can work together. And while I was searching and and getting this together, I went and found there's an interdisciplinary center like a center for the study of interdisciplinarity in uh, Texas at a university. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And I went, and they'd like, th- there was all these big announcements about all the great work that they were doing. And then very quickly after they launched, um, they lost all their funding and got shut down. And it was this really like sad email, or sad letter on their site. They were like, you know, we still don't know why they cut funding and so on and so forth. But they were at sea. They weren't, they couldn't, you know, they weren't, central. That stuff is never central. When you talk about synthesis and when you talk about interdisciplinarity, you're talking about trying to cross and get across boundaries that people are fiercely protecting. And so it's not going to be a surprise when people want your project to go away because you represent disruption and stress. So what I think a lot about is union. Like, how do you get these ideas to really live together? Because they live together inside of me, I just have trouble articulating it. And I think they live together inside of a lot of people who do two things. Um, And we spend a lot of time translating between one group of people and another trying to help them understand the world that we're inhabiting. And I think that I'm kind of giving up on that. I'm going to both make the boxes and put stuff into them. I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to kind of stop apologizing that it's difficult for people on, on the left and the right and work towards a kind of union of those ideas.